0: Welcome to the Barnes & Thornburg Podcast Network. You're listening to Trial Ready, a podcast dedicated to learning about the work of trial lawyers and their insights into the legal issues of today. To learn more, visit us online at btlaw.com. Welcome
1: back to Trial Ready, Barnes & Thornburg's podcast dedicated to hearing and learning about some awesome trial attorneys and the work that they do. Thanks to everyone who listened to last month's episode featuring Victor Vidal. Today, we are truly honored to have with us Michael Battle, a partner in the white collar and litigation practices of our D.C. and New York offices. Michael was a former U.S. attorney for the Western District of New York. He was a former federal public defender, a state court judge, as well as the former director of the executive office of U.S. attorneys. That is a lot of legal positions you have had, Michael. Um, Before we delve further into Michael's background, we have to begin with our preliminary questions. Mina?
2: All right, Michael. I know you very well. I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a very long time, but our listeners would love to know more about you. So we're going to start with the easy ones, the softballs, if you will. Who are you and what do you do? Uh,
0: Good evening, Mina and and Michelle. Nice to see you both, albeit virtually. I am Currently a partner at the law firm of Barnes & Thalberg. I've been a lawyer for almost 40 years, and um, I currently practice in the litigation practice group with a concentration in White Collar, and I work with some really awesome attorneys and at staff in our D.C. office.
2: And a grandfather?
0: I am a grandfather of three boys, uh, one three-year-old, one going to be three-year-old in a week, And a nine-month-old, all little guys, two live in New York and one lives in D.C. So when this COVID thing gets straightened out, I'm going to spend a ton of time with those guys.
2: That's awesome. And so this one always cracks me up. Mike, where are you from?
0: I am from the Bronx, New York.
2: And Michelle is doing a little dance in the background. You're not from Buffalo. You're from the Bronx.
0: I'm not from Buffalo, although I I spent...
2: town, baby. Uptown.
0: Major part of my career practicing <laughs> law in Buffalo, New York, but I hail from the Bronx and uh, actually went to the same high school as Michelle's dad.
2: Such a small world, right?
0: <laughs> yes, at, at the same time, at around the same time.
2: But Mike, you're just so young. I, I can't even believe that you would have gone to high school with Michelle Bradford's <laughs> father. I don't, I don't understand that. Now, the next question I have for you: This is a tough one because you've had quite a fascinating legal career. What were your three top
0: legal jobs? It's always a difficult question to ask because I've been been blessed with so many wonderful opportunities. Um, You know, I I can pick any three, but to start off, you know, I started my career at at the Legal Aid Society in in Harlem in New York. And that's because, you know, one of the reasons I went to law school was that I wanted the clients that I represented to come from that class of uh, Of of folks. I wanted to represent people who were underrepresented, so I ended up in the civil division there doing landlord-tenant cases in uh, lower Manhattan, which was uh, for about five years. I spent most of my career as a prosecutor in uh, three different positions with the Department of Justice, so that hands down is one of my favorites. And of course, the other two that I had, um, the executive office was totally different because it did not involve any litigation. I was a manager. So if I did nothing else in that position, I learned a little bit about the management side of the house, which takes a special breed of cat to, to do that job. I don't know that that job is necessarily for people who want to litigate. That's
2: where you got your calm and your cool, right, Michael Battle?
0: Um, well, I'm not. I'm not sure that I'm all that calm and cool, but it's it's an exterior that at least you guys get to see.
2: <laughs> and Mr. Battle, what's your number?
0: When you say what's my number, what, I don't know that I understand that question.
2: <laughs>
0: I don't want to get in trouble. I love
2: this question. Well, it, this is not the club, so I'm not asking you for your digits. <laughs> now I already got those anyway. What's your number? The number of trials.
0: Oh, goodness, Grace, if you go all the way back to legal aid, um, you know, we were in, in court every day. I mean, my schedule was straight from my apartment in New York, straight to court, nine o'clock in the morning, there till five, back to the office, get prepared for the whole day. And the, and the whole next day, and the given day, we, we might do three or four trials a day in housing court. And I, again, I did that for a five-year period, transitioned from there to being an AUSA, where obviously you don't do nearly that many trials, do about five or six per year, um, if that many. And that's a lot. Uh, as a federal defender, it was about the same. And if you want to count my time on the bench as a judge, again, I wasn't um, a litigator, but I was fact finder. So I count that as trial experience. And again, I, you know, I was doing 20, 30 cases a day. So it's, it's in, easily in the hundreds. Um, at any at any different level, it's quite quite a quite a bit. Now that I think about it, <laughs>
2: do you miss that Mike?
0: Yeah, you know, I I I think um, I enjoy being in the courtroom. It's something that I thought I wanted to do, and and once I got a taste of it, I could never let it go. Um, getting used to the preparation was something that I had to discipline myself with because I wanted to be on my feet, uh, dealing with witnesses, dealing with the judge, dealing with jurors. And things of that nature it's something that that's i thought about very early on and when i i got my first taste was when i was in law school and after that i was just off and running so I, i've been blessed to have had the opportunity to do that the only thing that's different now is as a partner in a big law firm as you guys know we don't get to go to court a whole lot uh in the public sector you do get to do that a lot so i've had a, a great a great career in being in those environments I'm very comfortable in the courtroom. That's
2: wonderful. Well, I'm going to turn you over to Michelle. She's got some additional questions now for you. Well, Mike, one of the
1: things that, you know, makes me love you so much is the fact that you're from the Bronx, because I feel like there's a, a understanding that we have that we don't have to say a word. We can look at each other and be from the Bronx. I can tell what you're thinking and you can tell what I'm thinking half the time. But, you know, the Bronx isn't always so kind to people. And I certainly and I'm sure you certainly have a lot of friends who didn't make it out the Bronx, didn't really get to fulfill their potential. Talk to us a little bit about how you decided you wanted to go to law school and what gave you the perseverance and the the, the drive to make it and become an attorney.
0: Sure. I, you know, I, I came from a, a family Um when I was the first one to go to college, but my, my mother and her sister grew up in Kentucky, and they were raised by my grandmother, who was a teacher. And so education was always really important to them. Each of them were able to go to college, but never got a chance to finish. They each went. My mom, I think, went for two years, and my her sister and my aunt went for about three years, and they both had to leave. My mother, actually, is very little known. She enlisted in the service she's a she's a veteran and um uh, she enlisted in what was commonly referred to back in those days as the wax <laughs> and she um she flew all over the country and uh she did that you know for several years and then she left the the uh corps and then she moved to New York but growing up with my my aunt's kids, my mother had one kid it was me i'm an only child, and her sister had four kids, but they were always preaching education to us. So if you add to that, I was getting that message at home. And then, ironically, when I was in high school, I went to DeWitt Clinton High School, which at the time had 8,000 students, all boys. <laughs> and um, But we had some great teachers there, and I was a, a football player. And so, again, I was getting that message from my teachers and from my coaches because DeWitt Clinton was a, a a school of talent in the academic world It has a rich history and Some great alumni, a list of which is very, very long. So that was the message I was getting at both ends. So going to college was something that was definitely going to happen. It was just a question of where and when and how I was going to do it. And so, you know, while I was in college, um, I I still had these things in the back of my mind. And one day I, I met a young fellow who was a law student at Cornell University. I was at Ithaca College. He and I became friends. And he asked me just offhand, we were playing basketball. He said, hey, what are you going to do when you get out of college? I said, I have the slightest idea. He said, um, I said, but I know my family will be proud. He said, well, have you ever thought about law school? I said, never thought about it. Wouldn't even know how to do it. And uh, so he said, why don't you think about it? So I went in to see my advisor and I said, hey, uh, you know, what do you think of this? And my advisor embraced me and said, okay, I'm going to show you how to get this done. So it was was something that became very important to me. Um, You know, people joke some of my old classmates joke because I became so serious about law school from my freshman year in college that I walked around campus dressed like a lawyer for four years, for four years. And my poor wife who I met in college, if she could tell you some of the stories, she was kind to me back then, but later on I learned they thought I was an absolute super nerd, it was unbelievable. But it was to me, I had to walk to walk, talk to talk and wear the costume. (laughs) so it it worked for me and from there I um, I graduated from college in three and a half years. Uh, I took a semester off and uh, uh, worked as a teaching assistant uh, in in my curriculum and then I applied to a number of different law schools and one of the reasons I ended up in Buffalo was because Buffalo at the time was a state school so I could go there relatively cheap. It was the 15th best law school in the country at the time and the, the little known secret is that my girlfriend who I I thought was going to be my wife someday, and ultimately turned out to be the case. Was from Buffalo, New York, so I needed to keep an eye on her and her family. <laughs> so it was there was a, pers- a definite personal angle to what I was trying to do, and so that's how I ended up there. While I was in law school, again, I just continued to work very, very hard and spent time during the summers working in places where I could get myself in the courtroom and, and see if I really wanted to do this.
1: Did you know from day one of law school that you wanted to be a trial attorney?
0: I did. I definitely did, and the reason for that, Michelle, is because um, between my first and second year of law school, I worked at the Legal Aid Society, and so um, I was right in the Bronx. I went over for the summer, and um, I, I they wanted to put me in a library. I go, whoa, whoa, and it was just the general library of the courthouse. And I called the, I went to the boss for the summer program. I said, I said "Hey, man, I want to be a lawyer. I can't sit in here. I got to see what's going on in the courtroom." the guy was nice enough. He put me in the courtroom. He sat me in there with the with the clerk so I could help move the cases along. But I could see how the lawyers functioned. And a lot of lawyers who were younger lawyers at that time are still friends of mine to this day because I hung out with the lawyers, went to lunch with them, asked them tons of questions about what they did and how they did it. These were the lawyers that were representing the children in the family court back in the day called law guardians. And, and two or three of those men and women are still people that I've known since way back then. So again, I knew it. Uh, Between my second and third year of law school, I got a job in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn, um, Eastern District of New York, through another friend of mine, uh, Zach Carter. And um, so I worked there, and it was a great opportunity, again, to see it at a much different level. Because up to that point, I didn't even know what an AUSA was or what an AUSA did. But I got to see some good lawyering. I got to work on some real cases. Uh, Helped an AUSA put together a tax prosecution and some other cases during the summer. So again, I, I I was set and ready to run. I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. I just had to get all the preliminary stuff out of the way, like graduate past the bar.
1: That's right. (laughs) All those preliminary things. All those preliminary things. That's right. So you've been an AUSA, you've been a federal public defender, you've been the U.S. attorney, and you've been a judge. Which of those positions do you think taught you the most about being a trial attorney?
0: Being an AUSA. Uh, Because um, when I was, uh, although I did a lot of trial work at Legal Aid, uh, you know, doing it the way we did it there was prone to developing bad habits, simply because you were in court every day, so you really didn't get much time to prepare, which to me is is just no better way to become a trial lawyer than to have the opportunity to prepare for trial, or to prepare your case to get to know your case. So a lot of times we were flying by the seat of our pants. Because we were just, the cases were just so voluminous, we just had to move. What it taught us was to be sharp and smart on our feet, taught us not to be afraid to deal with the judges. We actually could do trial uh, by jury back in those days, those gave you more opportunity to prepare. So it, it broke down the fear, but I went from there to being in an AUSA where the cases moved a lot slower and I learned how to investigate. I learned how to look up the statutes. One of the first things one of the more senior AUSAs told me then was, he said, if, if you, when you present a case to the grand jury, before you do it, go to the um, jury instructions. Back in those days, they were in books and look up the elements. And that will tell you whether or not you have the stuff to get your case past the grand jury. And so those were some good lessons that I learned and the, the ability to take your time and get it right before you went in the courtroom.
1: And you left trial work for a while, as you mentioned, when you became director of EOUSA.
0: Actually, I left before that. When I, After I was a federal defender, I became the managing attorney in the New York State Attorney General's office in Buffalo, New York. So that was my first run as um, in management. I did that for about 18 months before a political opportunity came along for me to be a judge. And so um, the, the judge position took me in the courtroom, and then from there I went. Uh, back and became U.S. Attorney. That was my second run um, in being in management. And I thought I was going to spend all my time um, talking to the lawyers about their cases and helping them get ready for trials until like that. Did. I didn't get near one file <laughs> while I was U.S. Attorney uh, and talking about um, an erosion of skills. <laughs> that was, um, it was a good experience because I went from there managing an office of a about 200 people, to then executive director managing um, a component of DOJ with about 11,000 people nationwide. And I had my own staff, 300 people. So between being U.S. attorney and and EOUSA, I I didn't go into a courtroom at all. And that was for about um, almost six years of my career. That was a long time. I didn't come back into the courtroom environment until I went into private practice after that.
1: I can't imagine being away from the courtroom that long. I mean, it's been two years, or two and a half years for me now, and I'm literally <laughs> going through withdrawal. I'm like, fine, I'll take a virtual trial, whatever
2: it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize how, how much I I would miss it. But those positions kept me very busy doing different things. So I picked up some skill sets that I learned to become very valuable. Managing people, uh, while it's different than managing clients or witnesses, it's still a people business. So being able to understand and read people, I think is an important uh, skill to have as a trial lawyer.
1: Well, and speaking of people who know how to read people, I'm going to turn you back over to Mina for some more questions.
2: So Mike, I want to talk to you about something that I think um, those of us who have worked with you um, have really learned a lot from you. And just by working with you on different cases and traveling with you, especially because you've held so many different positions you just know so many people your network is so very very broad um and i think that you've in the past talked about the importance of getting opportunities and meeting people and expanding your network and using that as a referral source so what recommendations would you have for younger attorneys who are trying to build their own networks as they kind of come up in the ranks
0: sure Um... Well, you know, one of the things that's almost a natural network is coming out of the Department of Justice, you know, because you come in contact with so many different people. And I think that one of the advantages for me was um, when I was at EOUSA, uh, I touched every component of the department. So much of what happened there from main justice to the field, as we called it, to the U.S. Attorney's Office came across my desk. So I had a chance to interface with a lot of different people who ultimately, just for political reasons, ended up leaving the Department of Justice um, and are doing what I'm doing. So that's one referral source. Also, just the U.S. attorney community by itself, um, again, is another referral network that that's a natural uh, result of that. Um, you know, and when I was a federal defender, I did the same thing. I went to conferences, I met people, and I always stayed connected to them um, when I became a judge, it was a little bit later, but when I attended judicial conferences across the state, so many of the lawyers that I met coming up were now judges. <laughs> so there was another network, and we were all looked at each other at the first conference and going, how did you become a judge? <laughs> how did that guy become a judge? You know, And so you stay in touch with them. So I think, as you all know, this, this business, as I described it as a people business, you come in contact with so many different people for so many different reasons. And while even some of them might be adversarial, uh, you know, it's, it's always good to, to sort of treat people well, treat them professionally. And if you're good at what you're doing, people don't forget you. So in, in, a, in a way, everybody becomes a referral source. You, you both know, I'm sure you've gotten sources. I know this for a fact with both of you. You've gotten referrals from people that you've been on opposite sides of. Because they know how good you are. They know how professional you are. So the whole world of what we do becomes a network for what we want to do in the future. And, and it's because of two components. Being good at what you do, being professional, and treating people with courtesy. All
2: right, I like that. I like that a lot, Mike. So another question. Our group, the DC group particularly, we've got lots of personalities. Different personalities. Big, small. Some of us a little louder than the others. Shout out to Roscoe on that one. (laughs) Um, Everybody knows it, come on. But, you know, in our group, sometimes you're a little softer spoken, but nonetheless, get your point across very well. So how do you think that your um, personality contributed to your trial persona?
0: You know, I I, I think, um, I, I mean, I am naturally shy. Um, always have been. Maybe that's just a component of growing up as an only child, but I'm naturally shy. But I learned early in my career that to listen to people, I think that's a a good skill to have. You know, I want to make sure that I know what's going on (laughs) before I have something to say, not because I don't think it's important, but I, um, I think it's important to hear what other people have to say and to learn what's going on. And, and one thing I, I love about our group is, you're right, Mina, there are so many great personalities and everybody's so different. People are just so intelligent and, and, and so experienced at various aspects of life. I actually enjoy listening to you guys more than I do talking. And so, you know, I try to measure my opportunities because I do want to contribute because I don't want you guys to think I'm asleep, <laughs> but I... <laughs> But I I just, I want to make sure that when I say something that's going to be contributory, but I have the time of my life listening to you guys go at it. It There's nothing that I enjoy more. It is a ton of fun. To be at this point in my career and be surrounded by all of you is just an absolute blessing for me. It really is.
2: Well, I do want to say, since this is recording, that I have actually heard of Michael Battle getting mad. I was not in the room. I did run down the hall to hear it re- being recounted, to understand what happened, but I didn't actually see it. But apparently it has happened before. It,
0: it, it will happen, yes. There are some members of our group who have witnessed it live.
2: <laughs> not Michelle or I, unfortunately, but apparently <laughs> right. it did happen, sadly. It has we happened on more,
0: on more than one occasion, yes.
2: I mean. <laughs> um, all right. Which one of your trials do you think taught you the biggest lesson and what was that?
0: Um, let's see. I was thinking about that as I was preparing for today, I thought a question like that might be forthcoming. I I once had a trial, one of my early trials as a prosecutor was a civil case where we were defending the government against a, a wrongful death lawsuit for a defendant who had been convicted was in federal prison and he was, um, and he died in federal prison. And he, the allegation was that he was very ill and the, um, the lawyers at the Bureau of Prisons didn't do a good job of learning about all of his illnesses, and so they didn't treat him properly, and um, and he and he ultimately passed away, and um, he had a heart attack. And so I was we were defending. I traveled to the to the prison, which was in Lexington, two or three times, and done some depositions. And ultimately, we couldn't settle the case and had to go to trial. And on my earlier point, I had some major fights with the trial lawyer um, or during that trip so much so that we had to call the judge a couple of times to get each other off one another. He is today one of my best friends, um, and we fought about the case for a long time. But the lesson was I had an expert testify about the uh, having reviewed the medical records of the decedent, and he was an expert in um, in, in, in hearts, everything heart-related <laughs> And so I put him on the stand as part of our defense case and he testified as I wanted him to and then my opponent got a hold of him on cross and didn't beat him up too badly um and I and I didn't need to do this but I felt everything was going so well let me just ask him a couple of follow up redirect questions and and I don't know why this happened but he changed his testimony <laughs> and he was all of a sudden testifying opposite to what he had done for me before. And I honestly don't know why. Oh. And, um, I mean, the lesson in that was if I hadn't done it, obviously that wouldn't have happened. I still don't think I did anything wrong by doing it. And when I asked him later on why he changed his testimony, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the lesson was there. Oh, boy. Um, we ultimately settled the case. You know, the judge looked at both of us. It was a, um, trial before a magistrate he looked at me and he said I think you guys need to go out in the hall and talk and he looked at me and goes especially you oh, ouch <laughs> so that was a that was an ouch moment that happened back in the 1980s that clearly I've never gotten over <laughs> but I so I learned that lesson sometime when it when it's going well leave it alone you know yeah. and I've heard many stories about that happening to people that's one thing I just simply Will not do. Even when you think you know what the answer is going to be, and I was one hundred percent sure of where that was going to go, you just never know.
2: Sometimes you got to know when to quit when you're ahead. And speaking of which, I'm ahead. I'm gonna quit because we're about to get to my favorite part.
0: Uh oh, fun part. So I thought that was a hard part. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: this
1: now is the cross examination, rapid fire cross examination, Mr. Battle. Please keep in mind the rules of cross-examination, which is to answer the question, okay? If it is a yes or no answerable question, you answer with a yes or no. There's no explaining. There's no denying. There's just an answer. Mina is the judge and also your attorney, like, so I, but she won't be so objecting. I can't object, right? Okay. I won't
2: be objecting. <laughs> you cannot object. <laughs> you cannot object at all.
1: Mina represents you for this purpose. Can I at least rule on the objection? Okay. I got your back, buddy.
2: <laughs> You can't. I got
1: your. Okay. I got your back, buddy. <laughs> okay. All right, Mr. Battle. You attended Dwight Clinton High School in the Bronx, correct? Yes. And you played on the high school football team, correct? Yes. And when you ran to become a judge, you gained a lot of weight from attending fundraising events. Oh, objection! S- s- Sustained. <laughs> I, oh, with, um, objection I, I did. I gained school
0: quite school. a bit of weight. Yes.
1: And when you began working at Barnes & Thornburg, your lovely colleagues at one point blew up copies of the posters that you used when you ran to become a judge, didn't they?
0: They did, yes.
1: And subsequent to that time, you have become a vegan, correct?
0: Uh, by the time I got to Barnes & Thornburg, I was already a vegan.
1: After after running for a judge, <laughs> you became a vegan.
0: I became a vegan, yes.
1: And your nickname at the firm is Steak Knife. It is. <laughs> And one of your favorite vegan restaurants in Alameda County, California, is called The Butcher's Son.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely.
1: And one of your favorite foods is french fries.
0: Yes, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) One of your favorite breakfast foods is oatmeal. Yes. And you typically work out early in the morning at like 2 or 3 a.m., and then you go back to bed.
0: I do, yes.
1: Once you got lost in Panama City with an associate, and you suggested walking miles back to the hotel in the dark with no cell phone service. Isn't that true? I did, yes. And when you travel for trial, you continue to wear your button-down trial shirt, even when going out to dinner at the end of the day with co-workers. Yes. Even though you put on jeans and take off your suit, (laughs) you keep your work shirt on. I do. (laughs) And you once asked a prosecutor during a deposition if he wanted to step outside.
0: I did, yes. Yes.
1: And the prosecutor refused.
0: He did, yes.
1: Well, Mr. Battle, thank you so much for answering those questions. You passed with flying colors. And if you could, just before we close out here, what are the words of advice that you might have for young or aspiring trial attorneys? I know you have a daughter who was at the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. She just recently left. So obviously you give good advice on that. But what would you say to young people who are considering a career in the law?
0: I I don't think there's any substitute for um being in a good mentor mentee relationship and it doesn't have to be limited to one person. I have a, a lot of mentors, uh, men and women that I um have gotten to know over the years who I who have made themselves available for me to talk to about any number of different things including some of the position choices that I've had and whether or not it made sense. To, to To make those choices, and so back in those days when I was younger, I was sort of ment- mentoring up. In other words, I was the mentee for more senior lawyers and judges. Now that I'm at the other end of that, my mentors are guys like you guys. You know, the younger lawyers who I can learn a lot from about what's new in the law, um, some of the changes from a technological standpoint, and just the freshness that you guys bring to it. That's different from what my experience was and some of the more senior lawyers in our office coming up now and I find that to be tremendously refreshing absolutely it's a ton of fun
1: well this has been a ton of fun for us Mike so thank you so much for joining us
0: great being here thank you so much Michelle Amina appreciate you both thank you
1: Michael and we hope our listeners will join us again next month